faithfulness. A faithful person is one with real integrity. He or she is someone others can look to as an example, and someone who is truly devoted to others and to Christ. Our natural self always wants to be in charge, but spirit-controlled faithfulness is evident in the life of a person who seeks good for others and glory for God. Question. Are there areas of hypocrisy and indifference towards others in your life? Or is your life characterized by faith in Christ and faithfulness to those around you? Join us as Pastor Rex shares part 7, Faithfulness When You Are Alone. A faithful life requires vigilance in little things when we are tempted, especially when we are mistreated. Well, hello and uh, welcome to worship today. What an awesome day this is. Hey, let me ask you a, a question. Would you consider yourself a faithful person? It's kind of interesting. I, I believe that in our culture, there, there's not a lot of kind of faithfulness anymore. It's a pretty rare trait. You don't like your phone service? Switch. Your grocery store doesn't carry that item you really desire? Get a new store. Uh, you don't like your class? Drop it. Uh, you're not enjoying your school right now? Hey, transfer. Your boss does something and ticked you off? Change jobs. Get a new one. Uh, you're not totally fulfilled and happy in your marriage? Divorce. Hey. You don't like your church. Oh, this is epidemic in our culture, in our country. Uh, hey, just get a consumer mentality. You know, shop around. There's not a lot of faithfulness to churches anymore. It's true everywhere. It's also true with pastors, I think. Pastors may not be fulfilled in their job at a specific church, and, and so they, they quickly look for greener pastures, a better compensation package, a, a warmer climate. Faithfulness is a pretty rare trait. Quite honestly, one of the reasons that we celebrate 40 years with the same company or 50 years married to the same person is because it is such an unusual thing. It is just not the norm. But we come today in this series we're in called Growing Up in Christ, where we're learning all about how, how God wants us to take on His character and reflect who he is, we come today to this word called faithfulness. Now, there's so many definitions we could give, and I would like to think of it today as this rock-solid consistency in doing the right thing. That's just kind of my own little definition of it, a, a rock-solid consistency to just keep showing up, just keep coming back, just keep doing the right thing. Or let me add a little twist. I'd like to think of faithfulness, especially when it comes to our relationship with, with God, as acting in any given set of circumstances, just as we would act if we were absolutely convinced that God had our back and that he was still in control. Because the truth is, he does and he is. 
that we would do the right thing. How would we act if we were absolutely convinced, no matter how our circumstances look, we're absolutely convinced that God has our back and that he's still in control. That, that is, is faithfulness. Now, there's a guy in the Old Testament that I think exemplifies this in a superlative kind of way. He's a stellar example of faithfulness. And, and I particularly choose him out of all the great examples of the women and men in the Bible we could choose. I, I choose this character because he was faithful even when he was alone. That's really impressive. Because, you know, I think we'd agree, it's one thing to, to kind of be faithful with this rock-solid consistency when you're in the midst of faithful people. Is it safe to assume that there are certain temptations, for instance, or, or tendencies that, that you simply are probably not going to have when you're in a church service like this? with all these folks around you, but, but just disconnect, just get away from the family, just get away from those friends and that accountability that comes with the people who really know you, and suddenly you face a whole new set of circumstances. I was having a great conversation uh, several days ago with a couple of pastors who were in from, from Massachusetts, and they had come over, and I'd met them at a conference where I was teaching, and and so they came over, and we had a blast just talking. And, and the idea of, of how comfortable you feel when you're alone came up. And, and one of these guys was just very candid. He blurted out with great emotion, most of the stupid things I've done in my life, most of the crazy decisions I've made in life, I made when I was alone. And he was just acknowledging what we all know to be true. It's a lot tougher to be faithful when you're alone. And so that's why this character is so impressive. Now, you're probably familiar with Joseph in the New Testament. You know, the one who married Mary. The, this man who was sort of the uh, earthly stepfather, if you will, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he was certainly a faithful figure. But Joseph in the Old Testament is really one of a kind. For those of you who may not know uh, who he is, I, let me give you just a bit of his background before we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 39. If you have a Bible of your own, you might want to uh, turn there and just find that chapter because we'll be looking at several verses there out of God's Word. Joseph was the 11th in a family of 12 sons. Jacob was the father and Jacob made no bones about it that Joseph was his favorite son. He, he gave him special clothes, a coat of many colors. He gave him uh, special treatment. He, he just made it clear to all of his brothers that Joseph was his favorite. Jacob was a horrible parent, by the way. Even if you do kind of uh, have a bias toward one of your children, I would urge you not to make that known. But Jacob just wasn't really emotionally intelligent. His story shows that. And so his favoritism of Joseph, his son, just ticked off the older brothers. 
In fact, they were so frustrated, so angry, so bitter against Joseph, they decided to to kill him. But at the last minute, they decided instead of killing him, they'd throw him in a pit, and then they sold him to a caravan of Ishmaelites who were traveling through, headed toward Egypt. They gave his special coat of many colors to their father Jacob, covered with blood, and said, a wild beast has killed your son. And so Joseph goes literally from the pinnacle to the pit. He literally goes from being a favored son in a privileged position in the family to being an abject slave in a foreign land. I'll tell you, if anyone was alone, if anyone felt disconnected and cut off, he didn't even know the language, the culture, the customs. He knew no one in Egypt. If anybody felt alone, it was Joseph. And so let's take a journey today, looking into his experience, and I believe the parallels to ours will become clear. Because as unusual as this story is, still there are amazing parallels to some of the things we experience today. And I think we'll get a window into faithfulness in our own lives. So let's jump in and get started. I'm going to suggest that we strive by God's power to imitate Joseph in three different areas. These are sort of snapshots of his life where it's very important. God wants us to be faithful too. Snapshot number one. God wants us to be faithful in the little things. Now, as this story unfolds, you find that the Lord was really with Joseph As alone as he felt, he wasn't really alone, Scripture tells us. He finds himself working for a dude named Potiphar. Potiphar was one of Pharaoh's officials, a VIP in the land of Egypt. Let's pick the story up, Genesis 39, verse 4. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. And can I tell you something? When you find a faithful woman or a faithful man in any organization, I'm going to tell you there is some blessing that's going to come to that organization. I don't care if you're talking about a church, a corporation, a school, a family, a neighborhood. You show me one truly faithful person, and I'll show you some blessings that are flowing from Almighty God because it, this person touches the people around him or her. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So what I'm saying to you here is that the first snapshot is that Joseph was faithful in everyday details despite the fact that he was a slave, despite the fact he was against there, again, there against his will, and you and I can be faithful too wherever we are. Now, many of you don't really like your job. That's just the truth. 
National surveys consistently indicate that of the American people at least, 80% 80 of American workers indicate a tremendous dislike or frustration with their workplace. Isn't that interesting? And yet most of us spend 40, 50, even more hours there every week, some a little less. God wants us to be distinctive in the workplace, faithful in little things, honest on your expense reports, on time to work, diligent when you're doing a project, especially if you're the leader, the person in charge. You answer your voicemails and other communications. You give 100% even when your boss is on vacation. Don't let Satan get a foothold even in the little things in your workplace. Jesus said that the one who's faithful with little will be faithful with much. Jesus said that's a litmus test of God's blessing on a person. When God sees I can be faithful with the little I've been given, then God says that puts me in a new category. He sees, wow, there's integrity here, there's character here, there's faithfulness here. You can handle more. Now, many people in our church are single right now, whether they're uh, widowed or whether they're uh, single again after divorce through some kind of situation or whether they've never been married. We have many, many wonderful, wonderful single people in our church. And, and as I have conversations with many of you uh, who are single, I, I know you share, you're very honest. I love the dialogues we have. And you share that, you know what, if if God would, would open up the door, many of you say, you know, I'd love to get married or get married again. Boy, I rejoice with you and that desire and that, and that openness that you have for a, a relationship. Can I tell you what I'd look for? And boy, I have people, especially younger people, ask me questions about this pretty frequently. What do I need to look for in a mate? It's a big question. What kind of traits do I need to look for in a spouse? And, and, you know, there are lots of biggies that we could point to, right? But can I tell you what I would do? My advice to those of you who are looking <laughs> would be look at the little things. Do they keep their word? Do they show up on time? Do they do what they say they're going to do? How do they handle this powerful thing called words? Are they just always frivolous and irresponsible with words? Or... Or do they talk very responsibly and use words with integrity? Or on social media, when some little buzz starts going around, some little controversy, and the gossip starts flying on social media, do they jump right into that mess and just start slandering and cutting? Or do they show restraint? You say, well, those are just little things. Yeah, but little things are what make up our character. Our character is simply a whole bunch of seemingly little things. It may not be any really big deal in and of themselves, but boy, do they make a difference when they all go together. And this is showing us right up front here that one of the reasons that Joseph is one of the most amazing examples in the Bible of faithfulness is that he was faithful in the everyday little things, things that most people in our culture would say are just no big deal, I would urge you 
I would urge you to be a person who's faithful, even in little things. But I want to tell you, this story gets more interesting real fast. There's a second snapshot here where I would urge us to imitate Joseph, and that is that I think God really is looking at us today, and if we're going to grow up in Christ and be what he really designed us to be, he wants us to be faithful, not just in those little areas, which are really, really more important than they seem, but he wants us to be faithful in times of temptation. Everything is going pretty well here for Joe. Joseph has built, or kind of rebuilt, if you will, his life working in an undesirable situation. As the story goes on, we read in verse 6, now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now, I think you'll agree with me that that's not very subtle. I mean, this woman is so aggressive, she would make Lady Gaga look like the church lady, all right? And that's what's going on here. She is probably gorgeous herself. She is wealthy. She is a prominent citizen, very powerful, a lot of control. And now with her sensuality, she's trying to get something she wants. We read on, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you're his wife. Hello? It's like reminder, news blurb. There's an exclusive commitment there that you guys made. Hello? How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now, can you believe Joseph's response? I'll tell you that. That is rare faithfulness right there to his values, his moral code, his moral compass. Now, I can imagine that if there was ever a man who could have justified in his mind just engaging in this illicit affair, it would have been Joseph. I mean, can you imagine what Satan whispered in his ear? Hey, Joe, you know, you're trying to be faithful to this God you believe in, but dude, what has he done for you lately? I mean, hey, hey, Joe, Joe, let's get real. You're a slave, dude. I mean, your family's long gone. They're the one, your brothers are the ones who did you in. And this woman, she wants you. Listen, Potiphar, he could have had any woman he wanted. He chose her because she's so beautiful. I admire his good taste. And she wants you. Joseph, this is one of those nobody gets hurt deals. Trust me. Nobody gets hurt in this. And by the way, just I, I hate to even throw this in, Joe, but she's powerful. You know what? She can make life miserable for you, buddy. If you don't go along with this, sleep with her. Hey, can I ask you a question? 
And so many of you have found yourself, many of you right now, you're almost sweating right now because you're, you're in a situation where this kind of temptation is there or you've been there in the past and you're having flashbacks right now. Or many of you, it's just some kind of different moral dilemma you're in. Let me ask you a question. Let me just ask you. We're friends here. Let me ask you a question. What determines your moral action when you're facing a decision like this? Is it is it the immediate circumstances or is it an internal compass? <laughs> we read this story, we shake our heads, we go, wow, Joseph, man, he is like on spiritual kryptonite or something. This dude, how could he say no to that? It's because Joseph is not making this decision based on immediate circumstances. He's making this decision out of an internal compass, a moral compass that he is seeking to live by. I, I'm so impressed. And, and his response shows where that moral compass really begins. It begins with God Almighty. How can I do this wicked thing? Notice he didn't say, how can I do this wicked thing and let my boss down who's entrusted me with all this stuff? Or he didn't say, how could I, I do this thing and, and my parents would be so disappointed in me? Or, you know, how could I do this thing? I mean, I'm not really looking out for myself. I could get a disease. I mean, who knows who this woman slept with? Or how could I do this thing? You know what? I'm going to feel so bad about myself when this is all done. I'm going to let myself down. He could have said any of those things and all of them would have been legitimate. But he doesn't go there. His first point, his true north star on the moral compass is, how could I sin against God? Oh, how I wish that were my first response always. But often, it's something a bit less noble than that. But you know what, not, not, only, not only does Joseph give that response out of his internal moral compass once, but uh, this is even more impressive to me. It's one thing to say no, and then it's all done. But this happens over and over and over again. Have you ever been there? You know, you can give a strong no perhaps the first time, but then Satan keeps showing up like a battering ram and battering against your will. And it's easy for a no to become, well, let's talk about it. It's real easy for a no to shift to a maybe. Well, it's easy for a no to shift to a, you know, you know what, this, this probably isn't that bad. And it's pretty easy for a no to become an outright yes. I spoke to a man uh, sometime back, I'll obviously protect the details of his story and keep his anonymity. But he, he poured his story out to me of being married to a wonderful woman, having two gorgeous, uh, godly daughters who were active in church. And he poured his story about, out about how he had lost his wife, lost his family, lost his integrity, lost his job over this, all because in a moment like this, he said, oh, how I wish I had been more like Joseph and just said, how could I sin against God? 
You know, we live in a culture that not only has trouble saying no in situations like this, because it's driven by the immediate circumstances more than an internal compass, but we live in a culture that actually celebrates behavior like this many times. As Jeremiah said of the people of his day, he looked at his country and culture and he said, you've lost the ability to blush. And I would say of our culture and country, what Paul said in Romans 3, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, some of you may be here and perhaps you're on a spiritual journey. Oh, I commend you. You're in a good place. You're at one of our campuses. You've come to worship, maybe because you're curious or invited. You say, well, what, what's God's word to me if, if I break his moral code, if I go against his moral compass, I say to you with all the kindness in my heart, this is what so many preachers and I understand it. We want to shy away from saying this, but God will judge you for that. If you're outside of Jesus Christ, you will stand before God one day and give an account for what you've done. That's just the truth. I wish I, wish I could soften that for you, but that's just the truth. And if you're in Christ, you say, but pastor, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower. Well, what, what's going to happen to me if I get entangled in sin? God, according to his word, Hebrews 12 and many other places, God will discipline you because you're his daughter, you're his son whom he loves, and he loves you too much to allow you to keep on going down a destructive path. He says he will bring loving but firm discipline into your life. That's the answer. This is, this is heavy stuff. But Joseph remains faithful. That is amazing to me. How do you do when you're tempted? Verse 10 goes on, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Boy, that is faithfulness. Had a conversation one time with a bunch of teenage young guys, and this story had been in a Bible study that I had just taught, and, and boy, these guys were just so blunt and honest, and, and one of them said, man, I'll tell you, if I were Joseph there, there's no way I could have stopped. I said, well, let me ask you a question. He said, oh, no, no, I'm serious. There's no way. There's no way I could stop. And the other guys were joining in going, yeah, yeah, there's no way. I said, well, let me ask you a question, guys. If you're dating a girl and, and you know, her parents are gone, her brothers and sisters are all gone, and it's just the two of you at the house and nobody's there and you have reason to believe they're not going to be back for hours, and you guys begin to make out and it's really progressing fast and you're thinking in your mind this is going to go all the way tonight and just as the moment you think that you hear a car drive in the driveway her dad gets out of the car you hear a dad's voice say to her mom honey I'm so sorry you're not feeling well let's go inside and get you some aspirin could you stop then you better or you're a dead boy <laughs> Christian I'm talking to you now you have something a whole lot clearer than a slam door or a voice. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. God's going to speak to you, and you're going to know what's appropriate and what's not. The Scripture says to us in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee from sexual immorality. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace 
along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. There is someone, God the Holy Spirit, inside of you, and he will guide your life. You say, but Pastor Rex, I've, I've been caught in a web of giving in to temptation for so long, and I feel so bad about it, and I come to church, and I feel guilty, and, and how am I ever going to change? I, I think I want to change, but how am I ever going to change? Change is painful many times when you've gotten into a pattern. But you will remain the same as you are until the pain of remaining there becomes greater than the pain of change. And that makes me concerned for some of you. God wants you to flourish. Are you hearing me today? God wants you to flourish, but you can only flourish in him when you're living in a way that honors him. 2 Corinthians 7 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Now, I know that this challenge is heavy, and I I just want to say this word before we quickly move on to our final snapshot in Joseph's story. But you see, the truth is, All of us are broken by sin. You've heard me say that over and over again. We keep it real around here at Grace. All of us are broken by sin. uh, uh, All of us have made the wrong choices. All of us have been unfaithful. If you knew some of the things I've done, let me tell you, if you knew about me, can I tell you this? If you knew about me what God knows about me, you wouldn't listen to me. But can I tell you something else? If I knew about you, what God knows about you, we wouldn't let you in. (laughs) So it kind of evens out. You know what I'm saying? Kind of evens out a little bit. Yeah, it does. Kind of evens out. So we're all a broken mess except for God's grace. Faithful in the little things, faithful when tempted. One final snapshot. God wants us to be faithful today when we're treated unfairly. Now, in my opinion, this one is probably the most difficult of all. Be faithful even when things don't go the way we want them to go. Listen to what takes place next after Joseph has been faithful in the little things and when he's been strong and faithful through temptation. Listen to what happens next. If you've not read this story, this is about... This is about to blow your mind. One day, when he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants, none of the household servants was inside, she caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She cries rape in order to cover her tracks. And Potiphar had Joseph thrown in prison 
And remember, Joseph didn't know how long. He didn't know the end of this story. He didn't know how long he would languish there. By the way, let me just add parenthetically, I think Potiphar knew that Joseph probably wasn't guilty. But he had to save face here in some way with his wife and servants. And I, I think he knew. In fact, if he had believed, really believed that he had tried to rape his wife, he would have had Joseph executed in a moment. But he knew. And Joseph still maintained his faithfulness to God. You know what? He still kept showing up, doing the right thing, as if he were absolutely convinced that God had his back and that God was still in control. Because he does, and he is. Verse 20, but while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now, in Joseph's case, this is interesting, because he continued to do the right thing, rock-solid consistency in doing the right thing, that's how I'm defining faithfulness, he saw some reward on earth for that. We don't have time, but if you fast-forward and read this story, you'll see that eventually here, Joseph goes from pit to pinnacle. He goes from being a slave in a dungeon, a criminal, to being second in command in the land of Egypt. And God used him in powerful and providential ways to save generations of people. He leapfrogged over Potiphar and became second in command. It's an unbelievable story. But the truth is that people can start out strong being faithful and they can fizzle out along the way. If you went back to the early 1950s in the United States and, and you were to ask people, hey, who are the three most uh, dynamic, young, rising Christian leaders in the land? You might have well gotten three names. One of them would have been Chuck Templeton. A second would have been Bruce Clifford. Chuck Templeton was considered by many in the early 50s to be the most effective public speaker in the land. He could fill arenas and, and theaters and stadiums. It was incredible. And people saw, what a wonderful, wonderful Christian leader. Wow, we're glad he's on our team. Bruce Clifford was in many's estimation, even more dynamic, he was filling stadiums all over the country, being spectacularly used by God to preach the gospel. Just a young man. But fast forward five years, Chuck Templeton is on TV in Canada openly refuting the claims of Christ. He's become an agnostic. Bruce Clifford is pumping gas down in a South Texas gas station, living out of a hotel because of irresponsibility with woman and moral issues in ministry. He ends up dying in that same hotel 
of cirrhosis of the liver because of complications related to alcohol abuse. What about that third guy? Oh, people would have put him third on the list. (laughs) Many didn't think he was all that dynamic, to be honest with you. But today, there's a parkway, a freeway named after him in North Carolina. Because through the decades, people saw the rock solid consistency and faithfulness of Billy Graham. Yeah, faithfulness is is pretty rare these days. But oh, how important it is because here's the deal, gang. Our message is always going to be heard in context with our character. And as I close, can I just tell you something that I am passionate about in these days? You know what? I have so many dreams and goals and aspirations for what I want God to do through your lives. And that's really what it's about. I want God to take you, every one of you, who call Grace Fellowship your church, and I want him to just blow the doors of complacency off of your lives. Don't even get me going on this. I want God to give you dreams. I want him to show you a glimpse of what he wants to do in and through you that would just amaze you. That's what I'm praying for, and I believe God's going to do it. I'm just so pumped and filled with faith about that. But, but now, now, with that understood, the thing I'm committed to more than anything is that we would just be faithful to Christ. No matter what the result is, that I, that you, that all of us leaders, non-leaders, young and old, would just be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. I want to finish well, and I know many of you share that passion. But as we wrap this up, I want you to quickly look at three little verses here on the screen, which kind of give us the reason, and then we're done which kind of give us the reason for why we're to be faithful. And by the way, if you're a real learner, if you're a real theologian, what I'm about to say is a huge point of theology, so I don't want you to miss it. All Christian morality ultimately flows out of the character of Almighty God. We're to be holy because he's holy. In this series, we're to be loving because God is love. We're to be filled with peace because he is the prince of peace. We're to be filled with joy because there's no more joyful being in the universe than Jesus Christ. Patient because he is patient and long-suffering with us. Kind because his loving kindness endures forever. You get it? We're simply a chip off the old block. That's the idea. We're to demonstrate faithfulness because God is faithful. Look at these verses. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Just, would you just say it with your own mouth? Say, God is faithful. Would you just say it on three? One, two, three. God is faithful. Let's say it one more time together. God is faithful. That is the truth. God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. And finally, if we confess our sins, 
Here it is again. Can you believe it? He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. My favorite hymn is great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. So gang, let's buckle our seatbelts. Let's keep believing God for great things. Let's expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. But no matter what God brings us in the end, let's make this declaration together. We're going to be faithful because God is faithful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are faithful and that we can be chips off the old block We can reflect your character and your faithfulness to a world gone mad. We can represent you well and let people get a little glimpse, not because we're so cool and super duper special, but because you are. They could get a glimpse of your faithfulness just by observing us. May we be that kind of people, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.